السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد so inshallah uh, following on from last week's lesson in which we uh, we finished the tafsir of Surah Quraysh but then we also went on to another topic which was the ordering of the surahs of the Quran um, I wanted to actually go on from there to another topic which is which is closely related and it is um, something which we come across very often in this class because it's something which we have to um, go over a number of times and that is at the beginning of every surah one of the issues that we look at and one of the points that we, we constantly make is whether the surah or the chapter is Makki or Madani whether it's a chapter that is defined or, or, or categorized as being a Makki surah or a Madani surah and what I wanted to do, I think last in QP, we went over this very briefly uh, from what I remember and what I asked some of you guys and you told me, um, is that we, we went over this very briefly, but I wanted to go over it in more detail today as part of our going into the principles of tafsir and some of the sciences of the, of, of the Quran. And also because it's something which pertains obviously very, um, very, very much to the day-to-day tafsir that we do. So categorizing a surah as being Makki or Madani is one of the most common things that we will do at the beginning of every surah. It's one of the most consistent and regular issues that we will, we will speak about. Is the surah Makki or is it Madani? And what does it actually refer to and what does that mean and what are the principles that we can derive in this chapter that we can then use as a basis for how, how we deal with what is Makki and Madani? And what I wanted to begin with actually was um, how this developed as a science. So it is one of the sciences of the Quran, and like all of the sciences of the Quran, uh, and in fact every science in Islam, they all eventually or they all ultimately go back to the Prophet So the Prophet is the one who mentions this, he's the one who teaches this, he's the one who instills this within his companions, and the companions, even though they're not codified in that way, they're not called subjects like tafsir and fiqh and aqidah and you know, the science of Mecca and Madani and so on, um, or, or this particular like, chapter, it is something which the companions took from the Prophet And the reason why we know they took that from the Prophet is because it is something which they discuss and it's something which they paid attention to and it's something which they allude to and we have narrations from them that have been established on them that speak about these different aspects of our religion. And they will later on become codified in sciences in and of themselves. But before that time, in the time of the companions, these are issues that they refer to and issues that they allude to. So for example, when it comes to this particular science of what is Makki and Madani from the sciences of the Quran of this particular chapter of, of um, being Makki and Madani, and I, and I think it is a science within itself because it has principles, number one, and because, as we will discuss, there were scholars who dedicated works and books just to this, just to this particular study, this field of study. Not to mention that it's something which is obviously regularly mentioned in other books as well and within the books of tafsir generally. So, in the time of the companions, it's something which they paid attention to, therefore. For example, Umar, radiallahu an, in the famous hadith that is in Sahih al-Bukhari, when the Jewish man came to, to Umar radiallahu and he said to him, Oh Umar, there is a verse in the Quran. Were it to be have revealed to us, meaning the Jewish community, we would have taken that day as a day of Eid and celebration, a day of festivity. Umar asked the man, what is that verse? And he replied, the verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum. 
وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا Today I have completed your religion for you, perfected my favor upon you, and chosen Islam as your way of life. Umar radiallahu anhu said, and this hadith is in Al-Bukhari, I know by Allah when that verse was revealed, it was revealed on the day uh, during the farewell hajj of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So therefore, what is Umar radiallahu anhu doing with this verse? He's making it, he's categorizing it in two ways. Number one, he's giving its, um, or it's giving its, its location, when it was revealed, where it was revealed, and number two, a time frame. It's giving us a time frame. When in the lifetime of the Prophet was this verse revealed. And so that shows that the companions, one of the things that they would pay attention to when Quran was revealed, when verses and surahs of the Quran were revealed, one of the things that they would pay attention to is where and when it was revealed. So it wasn't just that they learned the Qur'an, that they memorized the Qur'an, that they understood the meanings of the Qur'an, that they applied the teachings of the Qur'an, but they would remember and they would pay attention to and they would notice when was it revealed, and where was it revealed, and why was it revealed, and who was it revealed concerning, if for example, it was revealed concerning an individual or a group of people or a tribe or a nation and so on. So therefore, this is something which the companions pay attention to, as is demonstrated in this narration of Abdul, uh, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. And that's why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, in the famous statement that he has, it's also collected in Sahih al-Bukhari. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says that there is not a single verse of the Qur'an in the book of Allah except that I know where it was revealed. Except that I know where it was revealed. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu is saying that there's not a verse of the Qur'an except that he remembers when and where it was revealed. Right, and that's him basically categorizing for us the Quran, right? Telling us what is before Hijrah or post Hijrah or revealed in Mecca and in its in its precincts or revealed in Medina and in its precincts or surrounding areas. And so therefore these are the companions, especially those companions who are known to be what? From the ulama of the Quran, from the scholars of the Quran, right? From the specialists of Quran. Because we know from amongst the companions there are those companions who are specializing in the Qur'an, in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Ubay ibn Ka'ab, like Zayd ibn Thabit, like Abdullah ibn Abbas, like the four Khulafa, like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. They are specializing in the Qur'an. Aisha radiyallahu anha is another example. So these are companions who are specializing in the Qur'an, the tafsir of the Qur'an, the sciences of the Qur'an, right? the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, when they then say, a statement like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that they pay attention to where and when a verse of the Qur'an is revealed, it shows therefore that it's something which is important to them. There's another statement of Ali radiallahu an that is collected in the tafsir of uh, Abdul Razak. Tafsir Abdul Razak al-San'ani. Abdul Razak al-San'ani is one of the old scholars of Islam. He's from the what, like, third century. So he passed away in 200 and something. Um, and, and, and therefore, and he's from the teachers of the likes of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah and others. Uh, so Abdul Razak al-San'ani has a tafsir, which, which a few years ago was, was, uh, was edited and, and it was published and so on. Uh, it's considered from the old tafsir of the Qur'an. He has a statement from Ali radiallahu anhu, that Ali radiallahu anhu said during his khilafah, I think, he said, ask me. For by Allah you will not ask me concerning anything that will happen from now until the day of judgment except that I will tell you about it. And ask me concerning the book of Allah 
For by Allah, there is not a single verse of the Quran except that I know was it revealed by day or was it revealed at night? Was it revealed in a high area, meaning an elevated area like a mountain, or was it revealed in a valley? So he's saying that I remember when and where, even to the portion of the day, night or day, when that verse was revealed and where it was revealed. Right? And that shows, therefore, that the companions, their knowledge of the Quran wasn't just a superficial knowledge. It wasn't just facts and book knowledge. It was something which they lived, they experienced. And that's why their understanding of the Quran and their tafsir of the Quran, their explanation of the Quran is something which we obviously consider to be the correct meaning and understanding of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, therefore, you have all of those statements, as we mentioned at the beginning of every surah, that the companions used to comment on when and where a verse or a surah was revealed, right? whether it's Makki or Madani. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Zayd ibn Thabit, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Aisha, Abdullah ibn Zubayr, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een, and others from amongst the companions. When we come to, for example, the tafsir of Surah Fir or Quraysh or whatever, at the beginning I say, oh, there's narrations from Ibn Abbas that he said that it is a Makki surah or that it's a Madani surah, whatever it may be. And that's an important point because one of the questions or one of the, you know, one of the principles of tafsir is that therefore most of this isn't in an authentic hadith from the Prophet <coughs> The Prophet didn't sit there and say Surah Fatiha is Makki, or Surah Baqarah is Madani, or Surah Quraysh is Makki, and Surah Nasr is Madani. He didn't say that. But this is knowledge that's taken from the companions. So when it's taken from the companions, especially in the tafsir of the Qur'an, like with the rest of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is knowledge that we consider to be, right, it's like proof, it's like it has the same, uh, same level of being evidence of, the, of, of what it is. Right? It is hujjah, it is evidence, it is proof because of the statements of the companions. And the companions, because of their knowledge, because of their virtue, because of their wisdom, their understanding, when they commented on the Qur'an, they did it from knowledge. They wouldn't speak about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from desires or from ignorance. It would be based upon knowledge. So therefore, in the time of the companions, this is one of the, the sciences that the companions used to focus on. And therefore, it's something which they passed on to their students. So you have, you know, for example, in the narrations of Ibn Abbas, when he comments on a surah and he says, is it Makki or Madani? One of the things that you will find is that Mujahid relates this from him, his student. He narrates these narrations from him. And Ikrima, and Ata, and others from amongst the students of the companions, they are the ones who narrate this. So Abdullah ibn Abbas never wrote a book on tafsir or on the sciences of the Quran. It's something which his students have memorized and taken from him, and they have then relayed to those who have come after them. So in the time of the Tabi'een, the students of the companions and um, and that generation, it is something which we find mentioned in, in the books that come, came later on, that they refer to and allude to books that were authored by the Tabi'een in this very subject. The Makki and Madin, meaning standalone books. Right? And that's actually something, um, something rare. Because if you think about fiqh, and you think about even um, you know, like other sciences of, the Quran, of, of, uh, of Islam, it's not something which is authored in until many years later, right? generations later, centuries later. It's not something which is done in the early part of Islam. But from the sciences of the Quran, the Makki and Madani, right, and some of the other sciences, 
they are mentioned from the beginning of Islam. There's something which the scholars authored in from the time of the, the Tabi'een. So for example, there is a book by Al-Dahaq. Right? Al-Dahaq is the famous scholar of tafsir that we often refer to and allude to. He's the one that we, you know, we, we often mention when we speak about the tafsir of the Qur'an. He has a book that is attributed to him called Nuzul Al-Qur'an, Revelation of the Qur'an. And Al-Dahaq died in the year 104 Hijri. Right? So he's very early on. This is like very early on. If you think about Ali radiallahu anh dies in which year? Which year did Ali radiallahu anh die in? The year 40, the year 40 Hijri, right? And Anas radiallahu anhu is one of the latest or the last companions to pass away, dies around the year 97, 98 Hijri. Abu Tufayl, it said, died around the year 98. He's like the youngest companion to pass away. So, Al-Dahaq dies when? 104. Right? So, six, seven, eight years <coughs> after the last of the companions of the Prophet. So, this is very early on right, in Islamic uh, tradition and Islamic um, heritage. He has a book called Nuzul al-Qur'an. Ikrima, rahimahumullah, the famous student of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, has a book with the same title, Nuzul al-Qur'an, the revelation of the Qur'an, and he passed, he passed away in the year 105 Hijri. And al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahumullah, also has a book with the same title, Nuzul al-Qur'an, the revelation of the Qur'an, and he passed away in the year 110 Hijri. <coughs> All three of these books, al-Dahaq, Ikrima, and Hassan al-Basri, their books we don't have, they've been lost. But we know that they existed because scholars refer to them in their own works. Right? So for example, Imam al-Bayhaqi, rahimahullah, in his, in his famous book, his, his large book, Dala'il al-Nubuwa, he has a chapter in which he speaks about Makki and Madani, and he often quotes from the books of Ikrima and al-Hassan al-Basri, when he's referring to this particular issue. So therefore, there are scholars who came later on, and they are referring to those books and they're quoting from them and so on, but they have been lost, right? We don't have them anymore. So the earliest book that we have that speaks about the topic of Mecca and Madani is the book of Imam al-Zuhri, rahimahullah ta'ala. And Imam al-Zuhri passed away in the year 124 Hijri. So he's still considered from the Tabi'een, right? He's still from the generation of the Tabi'een. And Imam al-Zuhri, rahimahullah, is the famous Imam, one of the greatest scholars of his generation, one of the first people to write in the sciences of, of hadith, one of the first people to write books of hadith, books in, in tafsir, and he's one of the first scholars to actually start writing and authoring in these sciences. He has a book that was found, um, I think it was found in, in, uh, in the US, in Princeton University, they had a collection of Arabic manuscripts, and one of those manuscripts that they had, one of those manuscripts was, they found the book of Imam al-Zuhri. Imam al-Zuhri has two books that are attributed to him in, that, in those manuscripts. The first of them is a Nasikh al Mansur, which speaks about the abrogation, the verses that abrogate other verses of the Quran. And the second one is this one, Tanzil al Quran, which speaks about the Makki and Madani Surah. And it's a very short book. Like both of them together are very short, like it's like 40, 50 pages. And all there is that Imam al Zuhri is saying, these are the surahs that are Makki, and then he lists them. And these are the surahs that are Madani, and then he lists them. And that's you know, essentially what he does in that book. And he passed away in the year 124 Hijri, rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is, um, and by the way, there is, you know, there, there's some, um, I think there's some difference of opinion as to whether it can authentically be attributed to him or not, whether, you know, it's something which is well known from being from Imam Zuhri or not. I think that's a discussion um, that, that some of the scholars have. 
So that's like something which, uh, which is also there. One of the first books though that's written, that's actually, that actually goes into details, Imam Zuhri is more or less a list, but someone who actually goes into detail and speaks about this at length as a topic is uh, the, the Imam Muhammad ibn Ayyub ibn al-Daris al-Bajari, rahimahullah ta'ala, who passed away in the year 294 Hijri. And he's from the teachers of Ibn Abi Hatim, rahimahullah ibn Abi Hatim, is the author of a famous tafsir, tafsir Ibn Abi Hatim, is also one of the earliest classical tafsirs that we find uh, in our religion. He has a book, so his teacher Ibn Daris, he has a book by the name of Fadair al-Quran, وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ بِمَكَّةَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ بِالْمَدِينَةِ The virtues of the Qur'an and that of the Qur'an which was revealed in Mecca and that which was revealed in Medina. Right? And so some of the scholars say, this is the first book that we have that has come to us from the Mecca and Madani, the first full book, and others said not only Muhammad Zuhri's book came before him. That's something in terms of, of making this chapter, the science of the Quran, as a standalone topic. Then we have other scholars of tafsir, and most of the scholars of tafsir will allude to, or they will mention in their tafsir, whether the surah is Mecca or Madani. By way of narration, Either they will narrate, for example, that it's reported that Iqlima said, or Mujahid said, or Abdullah ibn Abbas said, or someone else said, and they will mention that the surah is Makki or Madani. Or they will go into it in more detail. And there are, you know, most of the books of tafsir will do this, but the four that like, perhaps are well known for this and do this to a great deal, and they go into detail somewhat, and they actually like delve into this topic, is Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir. And as I said last week, inshallah ta'ala, one of the things that we want to do in QP this year is, as we go along, is to actually take some of these books and do a, a somewhat in-depth study, maybe like just like one, one session, one lecture, <coughs> where we go into the author, we go into the tafsir, we go into the methodology used in that tafsir so we can understand how those tafsir books work and so on. So Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, um, is from the scholars of Andalus, uh, from Andalusia, from southern Spain, and he has a book called Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz. Tafsir al-Kitab al-Aziz, and his tafsir is, you know, like a very, mashallah, very good tafsir, very nice tafsir, and it is something which is, um, he's considered from the muhaqqiqin in tafsir, someone who's gone through the different views and opinions of the scholars who came before, and he edited and verified and commented on that. So Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, number two, Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, the famous scholar, in his book, Zad al-Masir, Fi Ilm al-Tafsir, Number three, Ibn Kathir, Al-Imam Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah, in his tafsir also. And number four, Al-Imam Al-Siyuti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in Ad-Durar Al-Manthur. Right, they actually go through this in detail in terms of what is Mecca and Madani. But as I said, others, Al-Tabari, Al-Qurtubi, others as well um, from the scholars of tafsir will allude to this science of what is Mecca and what is Madani. One of the things that we'll find as we, we go on, and, and it's something which we've seen already in our class, because there are surahs of the Qur'an where we will say, some of the scholars said it is Mecca, and some of the scholars said it is Madani. And one of the things that I want to touch upon, therefore, is why is there this difference of opinion? Why can't the scholars agree that a surah is Mecca or a surah is Madani? What leads to this difference of opinion? And the first reason, and perhaps the main reason is, because as we said, there is no authentic narration from the Prophet ﷺ concerning this. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't speak about this. He wouldn't mention that a surah is Mecca or a surah is Madani. So you don't have an authentic narration or a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ in this chapter. You do have statements of the companions. And sometimes those statements of the companions will agree 
And sometimes they have a difference of opinion as well. And sometimes the students from the generation of the Tabi'een, they agree, and sometimes they have a difference of opinion as well, and they differ with one another. And so because of this, because it's not something which is clear-cut in that way, you find that there will be differences of opinion. Number two, and this is something which will come on to, um, you know, as one of the principles in, in the science of Mecca and Madani, the difference of opinion as to what it means, what it refers to. What is Mecca and Madani? Right? What does it refer to? What does that actual that terminology refer to? And there is a difference of opinion. And there are three major opinions amongst the scholars that we'll speak about. But because of that difference of opinion, you will find therefore that there is a difference amongst the scholars as to how they categorize what is Mecca and what is Madani. Right? So... We'll come to that. And if I don't, remind me. <laughs> but I think it's on one of the principles that, that we're going to we're going to discuss. So, so that's like you know how do you how do you um, say what is Mecca and what is Madani? So, for example, in Surah Baqarah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wattaqu yawman turja'una fihi ilallah." Fear the day on which you will be returned to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Many of the scholars, and that's in Surah Al-Baqarah, right? And it's one of the last verses of the Quran to be revealed. Surah Baqarah is what surah is it? Mecca or Madani? Surah Al-Baqarah. I know we haven't done Surah Baqarah, but I was hoping you'd know. Madani. It's a Madani surah, right? It's a Madani surah. By the definition of what? Of it being revealed after Hijrah, not in Medina. Revealed post Hijrah. By that definition. However, there is an authentic narration that this verse was revealed in the farewell hajj of the Prophet in Mina. So some of the scholars said that this verse and therefore Surah Al-Baqarah is what? Is Makki. Because they're not looking at post or pre-Hijrah. What they're looking at? They're looking at location. Where was it revealed? And so because of the difference of opinion as to how you define what is Makki and Madani, you will find that the scholars differed in terms of this issue. Because they, are, they have different terminologies, right? That's why it's important to understand methodology, right? To understand where those scholars are coming from. So that when they say it's Mecca or Madani, we don't just lump everyone into one group, right? They're coming from a different viewpoint. Actually, what he's saying is correct by that definition. Because that verse was revealed in Mina, meaning the surrounding areas of Mecca, and therefore it is revealed in Mecca. And because of the definition that he holds, it is a correct categorization of that verse and that surah. Number three, because the narrations that are mentioned, that, that do exist, for example, when the companions say this verse revealed here and that verse was revealed there, they are not always clear either. They aren't always clear either as to whether that makes the whole surah Makki or Madani. Right? Just because one verse is revealed in one place doesn't mean that the whole surah was revealed in that place. Right? If you go by location, it's not the meaning. So, for example, Surah Baqarah has 286 verses. One verse being revealed in Mecca doesn't mean that the other 280-odd were also revealed in Mecca. Right? So, therefore, because of this, even the narrations that we have aren't crystal clear in that sense. And I'm talking about the narrations in which the companions say, oh, that verse, we were here, or this was happening, or that was taking place, or this incident happened, and then Allah revealed this verse. Those types of narrations and not the comments or not the statements of the companions in which they say that this surah is Makki or that surah is Madari. Right? We're talking about actual narrations. 
what are some of the defining attributes of Mecca or Madani? So one of the ways that like, we can see the differences between the two is when we look at the attributes, what makes them different. The Mecca surahs generally, number one, are short in terms of the surahs are short and the verses are short as well. So they are short. Number two, they, are, they have in them a lot of emphasis. It is often uh, in those surahs that Allah takes oaths. It is often in those surahs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives parables, gives examples, uh, and so on and so forth. Those are the surahs in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses these different styles of eloquence often within the Quran. Number three, the verses have many stops, right? So they are short verses and they have many stops. Number four, because of that, they have a certain rhyme, right? When you read them, they end in a certain way and they have a certain rhyme. Like in many surahs of the Quran in Juz Amma, they end all in the same way, right? All with a lamb or all with, you know, a noon or all with... So they kind of have a rhythm to them. And they focus on a number of issues. Number one is aqidah, belief, creed, establishing Allah's oneness. Number two, akhlaq and good character and the general things that Islam calls to in terms of virtues, in terms of being honest, in terms of having integrity, in terms of being kind and generous and merciful, all of those different characteristics that we have in our religion. And number three, stories. Stories of the prophets, stories of the past nations, and so on. Al-Imam al-Shaqibi rahimahullah ta'ala in his book Al-Muwafaqat, he said, and the Makki surahs generally speak about three issues. All of them come back to the same thing, and that is establishing Allah's worship. Number one, the first of those three issues is that they speak about Allah's oneness. Number two, the truthfulness of the Prophet wasallam, And number three, the truthfulness or the reality of the hereafter and death. Right? And all of those obviously come back to the same issue of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Madani surahs, on the other hand, are longer surahs. And they have longer verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often goes into more detail in those surahs concerning evidences that he uses against the mushrikeen and the people of the book and the munafiqeen, the hypocrites and so on. Number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those surahs goes into detail concerning rulings. The rulings of marriage and divorce and inheritance and so on and so forth. Number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes into detail concerning the, the religions of the Jews and the Christians. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala number five goes into speaking about the reality of the munafiqeen and the hypocrites. In the books of Mecca and Madani, one of the things that you will find is that the scholars, and generally in some of the books of Ulum al-Quran, you will find that one of the things that the scholars did when it came to the chapter of Mecca and Madani is that they tried to give what is called a dabit. A dabit is like a rule. If you see something, therefore it means something else. Right? How do you recognize a Mecca or Madani surah? They came up with a number of rules. If you see this, then most likely, or it is the case that that surah will be Mecca or Madani. So for example, from the rules that they had for the Mecca surahs, is that they said that if you find the word kalla in that surah, it is a Makki surah. So the word kalla, right, like in, in uh, surah Takathur, kalla law ta'lamuna ilm al right, surah Qiyamah, kalla bal rana ala kulubihim, in surah Mutafifin, right, and, on, and so on. Kalla, the word kalla only comes in Makki surahs, right, and this is mentioned by Imam al-Zarkashi, rahimahullah, Imam al-Suyuti. Imam al-Zarkashi is the author of the book Burhan Fi Ulum al-Quran. Right? It's a book on the sciences of the Quran. And Imam al-Suyuti is the famous Imam. Al-Suyuti has the large tafsir that we mentioned. 
and then he has the small tafsir which is called tafsirul jalalain right one of the two his name is jalaluddin siyuqi and he has books on ulum al quran he has a book called al itqan fi ulum al quran so these two scholars al zarqashi and al imam al siyuqi rahimahullah imam al siyuqi passed away in 911 i think or 913 hijri and al zarqashi 794 hijri so those scholars they have these books and, and both of them mention this in fact everything that i will say more or less is mentioned by both of them in their in their books in ulum quran so the word kalla if it is found in a surah it is a makki surah they also said and this is mentioned by a number of scholars that the word ya ayyuhan nas what does ya ayyuhan nas mean no no oh people right oh mankind ya ayyuhan ladina amanu is oh you who believe ya ayyuhan nas is oh mankind oh people this is an address that is only found in the makki surahs Right, that's what they said. And actually, on reflection, as other scholars have mentioned, these rules are not comprehensive. They're not universal. There are exceptions to them. So it is the case that, yes, Ya Yuhannas is generally mentioned in surahs which are Makki. But that's not always the case. Because Ya Yuhannas is mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah. Right? And in Surah Al-Nisa, in Surah Al-Hajj. And these are Madani surahs. Right? And that's why Imam Ibn Taymiyyah and Imam Al-Qurtubi they said that this rule isn't correct as a universal rule. But rather it's the majority. Right? And often, and actually most of these rules are majority based. They're not comprehensive. They're not universal. There are exceptions to them. So that's the second one, Ya Yuhannas. Number three, every surah in which there is a sajda, meaning a prostration, when you prostrate for recitation, is a Makki surah. And this was mentioned by Imam al-Hudhari. With the exception of Surah Hajj. And Surah Hajj is a surah which the scholars differ over. Is it Makki or Madani? Right? So if you say it's Makki, then there's no exception. If you say it's Madani, then it is an exception. So every surah in which there is a sajda to tilawa, a prostration for recitation, when you recite a verse of the Quran, and you make sajda, it is a Makki surah. Number four, Every surah that begins with al-huruf al-muqatta'a or huruf al-hijaa, which means what? Yeah, the letters that no one knows the meaning of, it is a Makki surah. Like for example, Yasin, Noon, Qaf, Hamim, with the exception of two surahs. Which two surahs? If it has those letters at the beginning of the surah, it is a Makki surah, with the exception of two surahs. Baqarah and Al-Imran. Except Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran, which both begin with Alif Lamim, but they are an exception to the rule. Right? And this is mentioned by uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Right? So that's generally the rule. So all of the Hamims, Ra'ad, Hud, Yusuf, you know, all of those like surahs that begin with those letters, Taha, Maryam, Saad, and you know, so forth so, and so on. They are, um, they are from the Makki surahs. Number five, every surah from the Mufassal is Makki. What is Mufassal? Remember when we did the categorization in the time of the companions, how they would categorize the Quran, they didn't have juz. They didn't categorize them in that way. They wouldn't say it's five juz or ten juz. They would categorize them in? The seven long surahs, the mm-hmm. Mathani, the Ma'in, and then they would have the Mufassal. 
The mufassal is from what? From which surah? From Qaf, or some said from Hujurat, all the way to Nas. It is reported that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said this. Every surah from the mufassal is Makki. Every surah from the mufassal is Makki. And this is, uh, uh, the statement from him is reported in Al-Tabarani, <coughs> by Al-Tabarani, but it is a weak statement from him. But anyway, the scholars have taken it as a rule. However, that also is not universal. It is generally correct, like the majority. It's a majority rule. But there are exceptions to that. For example, Surah. Which Surah? Yeah, Fatih as well. But Fatih is before Qaf. The easiest one, one that we've done already. Surah Nasr. Which was revealed towards the end of the life of the Prophet. Therefore, showing that that rule is universal, right? It is the majority case, but there are exceptions to it as well. Number six, are we on six? Huh? Six. Every surah in which we have the story of Adam and Iblis is Makki, except for Surah Al Baqarah. And this is mentioned by Imam Sikhuti and Zarkashki again as well. So every surah in which there is the story of Adam and Iblis, Surah Sa'd, Surah A'raf, Surah Al-Hijr, Surah Al-Kahf, Surah Taha. When you have the mention of, of Adam and Iblis, it is a Makki surah with the exception of Surah Al-Baqarah. And number seven, every surah in which there are stories of the Prophet is Makki with the exception of Surah Al-Baqarah. So every, sto- every surah in which you have the mention of the stories of the, of the prophets, and that doesn't mean that they just mentioned you know, or alluded to by name or something, but it means like they actually go into detail of the stories of the prophets, then it is a Makki surah. As for the Madani surahs, then again, Zarqashi and Asiyuti, they mention a number of rules to show what is a Madani surah. Number one, Every surah in which there is a capital punishment or there is a penal punishment or there is an obligation, it is a madani surah. Right? So when Allah Azza wa obligates something or when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about one of the punishments, it becomes a madani surah. Number two, every surah in which there is the mention of jihad right, and fighting and so on, warfare, that is a madani surah. Number three, every surah in which the hypocrites are mentioned. And some of the scholars said, except with the, with the exception of Surah Ankabut, every other Surah in which the hypocrites are mentioned is from the Madani Surahs. And number four, and this is something which we, you know, which we, um, which we kind of alluded to before, every Surah in which Allah Azza wa begins the verse, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, or you who believe, is a Madani Surah. With the exception of Surah Hajj, as we said, there's a difference of opinion. If you consider it to be Makki, it's an exception. If you consider it to be Madani, then there's not an exception. And this last principle was mentioned by Ibn Atiyah in his tafsir and Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala. Right, so they mention these, um, these kind of rules. Any questions before we go into um, the principles? Sayyid, you, know, you mentioned that there is a book by Ikrimah um, and Hassan Basri, Allah, and that was the only way this other scholars mentioned them. No. So, like, so the question is like the books of Ikrimah and Hassan and others. Didn't anyone write a commentary on them or explanation or summarize them and so on? You'll find that generally, like, that's something which took place 
Majlis one, right? So when scholars started doing shuruh and they started, that's something which came later on. And and if it's like if it's anything like the book of Imam Zuhri, there's not much to do a shahram because literally like a list. And it may well be that that's the case of how how they did it as well. And Allah Azza wa knows best, but it's something which and and it seems to be Imam Al Bayhaqi when he narrates from them in his book Dalai al Nubuwa when he alludes to Al Hasan al Basri's book and Itlima's book, he mentions narrations. So some of the scholars said it seems that that book was, those books were just narrations. That so-and-so, Ibn Abbas said, and it's just him narrating from his teachers, Ibn Abbas said, this surah is Makki. Ibn Abbas said, this surah is Makki. This one's Madani, and so on. So just, that seems to be just the case. Right? And, and Allah knows best. But obviously they've been lost. Like many other books that have been lost over the centuries. Okay. Um, in the classification of listing of Madani, I didn't un- understand the difference between points two and five. Both in the list say the Madani surahs go into detail, or reality regarding the Munafiqeen. So we said the first one is Makki surah, the short. Okay, yeah, I mean, they're kind of similar. Um, so one is, speaks about the reality of the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites. And point number two was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala debates them. Right? So one is showing their reality, meaning that, that there's a group of people who are Munafiqeen, they, even though they show Iman, they conceal disbelief. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, debates them in the Quran, in, in like Surah Baqarah, he goes into many verses in other parts of the Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, goes into detail concerning them. That's what, that's what it means, but yeah, there is like an overlap between them. Uh, Sumair is asking, if a long surah had ayat revealed both in Mecca and Medina, on what basis did they decide if it was to be classified overall as a Makki or a Madani surah? So we're going to come on to this because what we're going to do now um, is go through I don't know, seven or eight principles on how to understand the science of Makki and Madani, what it means, yeah. What's the reason of the prostrations in the Quran? What are the reasons for the prostrations of the Quran? It's because the Prophet would prostrate after reading those verses. And often in those verses, there is a command to prostrate. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a command to prostrate and it's usually because of you know, some, something that Allah Azza wa Jal commands us to show humility and humbleness to him. The command is given. And then the Prophet used to prostrate. And because he used to prostrate, it became a sunnah to do so. So, so was that revealed um, by Jibreel that it's the more resistant? Was the I mean, it's revelation. When the Prophet does anything in Islam, it's revelation. <coughs> Everything the Prophet does is revelation. Anyone else? Okay. Principle number one. Principle number one. <coughs> when we speak about Makki and Madin, and this is kind of like the question that was asked now, and, and Oasis asked this question as well, and so on, the, the first principle is that when we speak about Madani and, and Makki and we classify them in this way, we're speaking about the majority of the surah, not necessarily every single verse. So it is very possible that you have a Makki surah, but some of its verses were revealed. Madani, right? They are Madani. And there's a Madani surah, and some of its verses were, were Makki. Right? Depending on, obviously, you know, the classification and how, and how you understand those terminologies. And that's, we'll come on to that next in the second principle. So, therefore, that is very possible. So, how is it based, therefore, the question that's asked online, you know, if there's some verses Makki, some are Madani, what do they consider, whether it's Makki or Madani? How do they base that? They base it upon the majority. 
or they base it upon where it started to be revealed, where it began its revelation, if it's a very long surah, for example. But usually it is the majority. It is the majority of the surah. Right? Where was the majority of the surah revealed? And Imam Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, in Fathul Bari, he said, it is not a condition that every single verse in a long surah that was revealed, uh, it is not a condition that if a few verses were revealed in Mecca or before the Hijrah, that the surah can no longer be a Madani surah, right? and vice versa. How the, the, the strong opinion is that whatever was revealed after the Hijrah is considered to be a Madani surah. So therefore, just because a few verses are revealed here or there doesn't change the, the general classification of the surah, whether it's Makki or whether it's Madani. Right? So it is, the first principle is what? It is based upon the majority. So it is not universal. And that's why, you know, when you have those differences of opinion, like Surah Baqarah is a Madani surah, but that one verse was revealed in Mina during the farewell hajj of the Prophet and so on, that even if you go by that classification, that it's based upon location, that's how you classify Makki and Madani, even by that classification, the surah does not become Makki. Right? Even if you say it's by location. Why? Because the majority is still in Medina. So therefore, it is based upon the majority, not based upon it being a universal concept, because obviously, as we know, the Quran was revealed in stages, and it was revealed in, at different times and in different places. The second principle is therefore what is the correct classification of Makki and Madani? How do we understand what is Makki and Madani? And we said that there are three opinions. The first of them is by location. So whatever is revealed in Mecca and around Mecca is Makki. And whatever is revealed in Medina and around Medina is Madani. So what does Mecca and around Mecca mean? Mecca, Arafah, Mina, what are the surrounding areas of Mecca? And Medina is the same. The problem that some of the scholars raised with this definition or with this you know, defining the terms in this way is what about those surahs that were revealed neither in Mecca nor in Medina? Those verses that were revealed when the Prophet was going to Tabuk, for example. Or for example, when the Prophet is, is traveling between Mecca and Medina, it's halfway. Right? He's journeying from Mecca, he's neither in Mecca nor is it in Medina. And so some of the scholars said, therefore, that this terminology or this classification and understanding of Mecca and Medani isn't wholesome, it's not comprehensive because there will be surahs and verses that don't fit into either of those two categories. The second opinion is that a Makki surah is that which has the attributes of the Makki surahs. And the Madani surah is that which has the attributes of the Madani surahs. Right? So just the ones that we went through. So the Makki surahs are short and they're concise and they're, you know, whatever. And the Madani surahs are long and so on. And therefore, Whatever seems or has the attributes of Mecca is Mecca. Whatever has the attributes of Madani is Madani. What's the problem with that classification? Who made the classification? Who made that classification? If you're using the classification of Mecca surahs, then you have to have a base to say these surahs are Mecca. Yeah, but like, what's the problem with that? Like, what, what makes it difficult to, to even apply that? Even if you had a basis for it? It's safer, that's all, because it's subjective. Not only is it subjective, but because we obviously have examples where that doesn't work. Right? So Surah Al-Nasr is short. Right? It's three verses, one of the shortest surahs of the Quran, and relatively short verses, and it is a Madani surah. And then you have surahs like Surah An'am and Araf, which are long surahs. They're long surahs, they have long verses, and they are Makki surahs. Right? 
So it doesn't fit either way. So the one that most of the scholars um, liked and, and the one that, that like generally people accept now, like all of our teachers and scholars generally accept this to be the correct classification, is the one that's mentioned by Ibn Atiyah, and Imam Ibn Kathir, Al-Suyuti, Ibn Hajar, Rahimahumullah, I think Ibn Taymiyyah and others, is that a Makki is what is revealed before Hijrah. And Madani is what is revealed after Hijrah. So anything revealed before Hijrah, wherever it was, in Mecca, outside of Mecca, in Ta'if, wherever it may be, it is Mecca. And whatever was revealed after the Hijrah, even if it's in Mecca. So if it's after Hijrah, and it's revealed in Mecca, during the farewell Hajj, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the conquest of Mecca, or it's in Tabuk, or wherever it may be, it is still classified as, as Madani. So the first one, right, the first definition looked at location, the second definition looked at eloquence and, 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 and uh, literature or the literal or the literacy or the you know like the, the eloquence of the Quran and the third definition looks at it looks at time right it looks at what is before and what is after the hijrah so the hijrah is the defining point right the defining point of what becomes Mecca and what becomes Medani and that is as we said the one that most of the muhaqqiqeen and many of the scholars chose to be the one that we that we take Right. Should we stop or should we carry on? Give you a minute to refresh. All right. Let's give us a couple of minutes. Any questions while we are waiting for of the Mecca and Medani? Okay, so that's a good question. Is there any exception? You don't need an exception because it's very clear, right? Yes, very literal. So anything before Hijrah is Mecca, anything post Hijrah is Madani. The only slight issue is what? During the Hijrah. Where does that come? That's where the problem is, right? And, and I, think, I think it's Yahya ibn Salam, one of the scholars of the past, had the opinion that anything that takes place uh, up until after the Hijrah, up until the Prophet arrived in Medina itself, is still considered Mecca. That's something which he mentioned. But I think many of the scholars say, you know, anything that, as soon as the Prophet left Mecca, it becomes Madani, even if he didn't arrive in, in Medina. Right? But that's the only, one, or the only slight gray issue where you know, the, the scholars didn't give, give clarity in terms of where the Hijra itself falls. But other than that, it's actually very clear. And that's one of the reasons why most of the scholars chose that, because it takes away, it doesn't look at other things, it just looks at a very, you know, like very... Um, clear-cut issue that took place in the time of the Prophet a very clear incident and therefore it's easy just to carry on from there. Anyone else? Any other questions? Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, what would Wikipedia? Wikipedia. Yeah. There must have been a hadith in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, you're, you're like, you're, you're a... <laughs> I think that's a very interesting thing to research, though. 
Anyone else want to take that off? Anyone else know what we're talking about? So last week, I think, or the week before or something, one of the, <coughs> the things that we want to look at is uh, the Uthmani Khulafa. Are they from Quraysh or not? The Ottomans. And it's not, I don't think it's that hard to research. <laughs> it can't be that difficult to find out. It's just someone has to be bothered to go and actually do it. <laughs> yeah? And some of you guys, mashallah, you know, you work for the NHS, you work for the Department of Education, you don't really do much during the day. So I'm sure you have time to like just sit there whilst you know, people are doing homework. Just like, um, but I think it's, I think it's like just worth. Shaykh, I think you should carry on and then we'll All right. the recording afterwards. Okay. So we didn't, um, well, what, which one were we on? Second principle. So, what's the first principle? The first principle is that we're speaking about majority, right? It's not universal. There will always be exceptions to the rule of Makki and Madani. Number two is that Makki and Madani, by its correct classification, is what is pre Hijra is Makki, what is post Hijra is Madani. Number three, those, how we determine that something is Makki or Madani, by that definition, therefore, comes back to the narrations of the companions. Comes back to the narrations of the companions, those who witnessed the revelation of the Qur'an. Like the examples that we mentioned at the beginning of, of, of the lesson, right? Umar said, radiyallahu anhu, that I remember when this verse was revealed, right? Or Abdul Mas'ud, if he has an opinion, or Abdullah ibn Abbas, or whatever, because why? These are the companions who were there when the Qur'an was being revealed. Or even if they weren't there personally, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhu, is relatively young. But they learned and they studied with the senior companions. So they would take from Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and others from amongst the companions of the Prophet who understood and knew that. So when the companions say it, it has something which obviously they are the ones who determine what is Makki or Madani. The question therefore arises is if they don't say anything and we come to the next generation of the Tabi'een, then what? Do we accept it or don't we accept it? Yeah, okay, so okay. So we don't have anything else to go by, that's a fair point, number one. Number two is it depends, we look at what they say. If they agree, all of them said it's Makki, or all of them said it's Madani, then obviously we accept it, right? Because the Tabi'een are the students of the companions, they took their knowledge from the companions of the Prophet And if they disagree, and they have a difference of opinion, then it becomes like any other issue of Ijtihad, right? It becomes like any other issue of difference of opinion that we have like in fiqh and in hadith and other things and we try to look at which one of the two opinions is stronger to see which one of them uh, we would take right so so that's principle number three and this principle is mentioned by al-nahas and al-suyuti rahimahumullah they mentioned this principle that those who actually say makki or madani they classify the surah to be makki or madani are those who witness revelation themselves meaning the companions of the Prophet like the statement of Aisha radiallahu anha when she said Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Nisa were not revealed until after I was married to the Prophet after, until after I moved in with the Prophet and she didn't move in with the Prophet except after the Hijrah so therefore she's saying that Baqarah and Nisa are Madani Surahs right? Aisha radiallahu anha is making the statement so she's qualified to make that statement she can say that because she was there and she obviously saw that and so on. So when they say that, then we say it's Makki or Madani. Otherwise, it becomes very difficult to determine because as we said, 
there are surahs that have the attributes of Makki that can be Madani and vice versa and you know unless the tabi'een and often you will find that the tabi'een will say it is Makki or Madani so even if there is a surah in which there is not a narration from the companions you will find that the tabi'een most likely have an opinion Mujahid, Ikrima, Ata, Al Hassan al Basri, Sa'id ibn Jubayr, all of those great scholars from amongst the generation of the Tabi'een, Rahimahumullah Jubayr, they will often say and they will often give that, um, that verdict or that ruling of whether the surah is classified as being either Makki or Madani. The fourth principle, principle number four. The asl, the origin is that a surah, all of it is Makki. Or all of it is Madani, unless we have an authentic narration and evidence to say otherwise. So we know there are exceptions, because there are authentic hadith that say that this verse is an exception. But where we don't have that hadith, and we say that the Makki surah is Makki or Madani, then the general rule is all of it is Makki or Madani. Unless we know specifically otherwise, by way of an authentic narration, by way of evidence. So for example, if we say surah Ali Imran is Madani, and someone comes and says, no, but there's five verses that are Mecca. Right? How? Why? Why do you say there's five verses in Mecca? If there's a hadith or a narration to say that, then fair enough. If not, then someone can't come and just say, oh, but those verses seem like they have attributes of the Mecca, or they just seem like they're speaking about a topic that is more relevant to the Mecca period, and so on and so forth. Those types of, you know, like that, that kind of, of, um, of thing doesn't necessarily fly. So therefore, it is this principle and it's mentioned by Ibn Hajar rahimahullah and Imam al-Bayhaqi both of them mention this principle that if a surah is Makki or Madani the general ruling is that all of it is Makki or Madani unless there is an authentic narration stating otherwise that this verse is the exception to the rule so for example a verse from a Madani, uh, a Madani verse that's an example of a Madani verse in a Makki surah is what is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari on the authority of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. And this hadith has a narration in Al-Bazzar, the Muslim of Al-Bazzar, that is more explicit. But the, the narration of Al-Bukhari is that a man kissed a woman on a journey. And then he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he confessed. He told the Prophet ﷺ that this is the sin that he committed. And Allah Azza wa Jal revealed the verse in Surah Hud, verse 114. Establish the prayer in the morning and the evening and during the night, for indeed good deeds extinguish evil deeds. And so the man said, O Messenger of Allah, is this for me? And the Prophet ﷺ said, This is for all of my ummah. Right? Is this for me? He said, No, it is for all of the ummah. So this hadith, how do we, why, why is this a, a because Surah Hud is a Makki Surah, but why do we say that this verse is a Madani? Why is it given as an example? Because in the narration or in the Muslim of Al-Bazzar, so this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim and other books, but the wording in the Muslim of Al-Bazzar is that this man was traveling in Medina, from Medina. Meaning that it took place in the Madani era. The companion is traveling to Medina, back and forth from Medina. And so as he was traveling from Medina and then he returned, this took place and then he came to the Prophet and the rest of the hadith is the same. So that additional wording is why some of the scholars said this. The Surah Hud is a Makki Surah, but this verse, based upon this narration, and if that wording is authentic, that, that extra wording is authentic, then it is a Madani verse. Right. Could it, yeah. It could not be the case that it was revealed in Makkah, for example, but it was also revealed in Medina. 
Is it possible that something can be revealed twice, you mean? Yeah. It is possible if it is mentioned like that. If it is so like some of the scholars say, for example, Surah Fatiha is, was revealed twice, right? Once in Mecca and once in Medina. Or some verses revealed because there was one incident and it took place there. And that's only if there's two authentic narrations. If you have two authentic narrations, then you say that the Surah, and, and, and they both seem to be in two different places, right? Two different, one's Mecca and one's Medani. Then you will say, and they're both authentic. Then you will say that, yes, perhaps that verse was revealed twice, right? To re-emphasize. Or the second companion didn't know that it would be revealed and it was mentioned to him or something like that. Okay, so we sorry for those of you online, we lost you for a few minutes, I think. And we'll upload, inshallah, the full class. It will be on the portal, inshallah, after, after we finish. We're, we're on principle number four. Um, so I think you miss, missed one principle, maybe. But principle number four is that generally if a surah is Makki or Madani, the principle is that the whole surah is considered to be Makki or Madani unless we have an exception that is authentically narrated. It is authentically established. And we gave this example in, uh, in Sahih Bukhari. What about the opposite? Right, so that's a Makki surah that has a Madani verse, right? which makes sense because Makki comes first and Madani comes after. So it's very possible that you have a Makki surah and then you have a Madani verse that's revealed later on and added to that surah. What about the opposite? Where it's a Madani surah, can you have a Makki verse? I'm asking you to debate. I'm asking you a question. Is it possible? Is it possible? Ibn Hajjah rahimahullah said it is rare if, 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 if at all, like, if, if there is even an example of this. He said it is either rare or there is no example of this. Right. And this is what Ibn Hajjah rahimahullah mentions, but if someone wants to research this and... Did you say Surah Hajj, there was an ayah which was Yeah, so Surah Hajj, scholars differ as to whether it's a Makki Surah or a Madani Surah. But the question here is that if you have a Makki Surah, not a Makki Surah, a Madani Surah, but a Makki verse. Right? And again, I think this comes down to how you define it. By the definition that we're going by, it seems like it is, it is rare. It's like, how, how does that work? Because anything that comes after, and if the Surah is Madani, right, even if the verse is revealed, uh, late one, then it's still Madani. But if it's done by location, then it's possible. Right? So Ibn Hajj rahimahullah and others said that, that I don't know of any example of this. Right? And I couldn't find an example um, when I was researching this topic either. But if someone comes across something else, then please let me know. Number five, principle number five. A Madani surah abrogates a Makki. Or a Madani verse abrogates a Makki and a Madani verse abrogates a Madani verse that was revealed before it. Right? So a Madani verse abrogates a Makki, and a Madani verse abrogates a Madani that was revealed before it. So for example, an example of a Makki verse, a Madani verse abrogating a, a Makki verse, is um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Nahl, verse number 67, وَمِن مِنْهُ and from the fruits of the date palm tree and grapes, you take from it a, a drink. Right? You take from it a drink and a provision. Right? And that's obviously speaking about wine, because wine at the beginning of Islam was permitted, was allowed. And then we have the verse in Surah Ma'idah, verse number 19, which Allah Azza wa Jalla said, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, 
إنما الخمر والميسر والأنصاب والأزلام رجس من عمل الشيطان فاجتنبوا Or you who believe indeed alcohol and gambling and sacrificing and stone altars and divination from arrows it is from the handiwork of shaitan so stay away from it right so that's a makki surah or a makki verse and it's abrogated by a madani verse which comes after it an example of a madani verse that's abrogated by another madani verse so a madani verse that was revealed first abrogated by a madani verse that comes after is in surah baqarah in verse number 240 allah says <laughs> These are verses that speak about a wife who loses her husband. The husband passes away, the wife becomes widowed. What is her idda? What is her waiting period? What, what does she do next? So in the first verse, Allah says, whoever from amongst you passes away, then let them leave behind a wasiyah, right? a, tes- a, a will or a bequest that they will provide for them for a whole year and that they will not be made to leave from their homes, meaning the homes of their husbands. So that was initially the ruling. If the husband passes away, the wife is widowed, from his estate she is looked after for a whole year. Right, for a whole year and she stays in the home of her husband. That's abrogated by verse 234 of the same surah, surah Baqarah. Whoever passes away and leaves behind a wife, the wife becomes widowed. She remains in Idda for how long? Four months and ten days. Right? And obviously that is the ruling that then became the ruling of Islam. Is another example of the, the one about um, the, being uh, beautiful to the parents? Um, you know, the Surah Isra, the Ayah, Surah Isra. And then I think there was another, another Surah because in Adam al Mufrad. Abrogation is when the whole ruling is, is removed. It's in the Surah Al-Fad where it says if there's 10 of you and 20 of them, you still fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would that be an abrogation therefore? Because the numbers are I changing now. I don't know if that's necessarily an abrogation. Because it wouldn't be a clarification because now the numbers are changing. I think it was 50 of them and X amount of you. And no, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, that that's what you would have done. But now Allah has said mercy upon you and so now you have to do less. But those verses... Oh, I think together it's not uh, abrogation is normally one verse is revealed yeah. and then after a period of time another one is revealed so if they're revealed together it's more a clarification right it's more like uh, clarification uh, an interesting thing about this example that I gave about the um, the widow is what I don't know how many of you noticed this none of you are probably paying attention to this sorry no no, no, uh, no, just from like a technical point of view, not, nothing to do with actual verse or his tafsir or anything, but in terms of what we're speaking about the Mecca and Madani. Both of these verses are revealed in which surah? Baqarah. Surah Baqarah. And I said that verse number one was what number? Huh? The first verse is which number in surah Baqarah? The first verse that I gave is verse number 240. And the second one is? 234. The abrogation came before. What's strange about that? The first time, the alcohol is the same, isn't it? But then, even though alcohol... No, 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 you're not, you're not, you're not understanding the question. The ayah is before 
So what is abrogated comes before and what the ruling that is abrogated comes later. Right? And that's strange, no? Isn't that the same with alcohol though? If you were to Why? Maybe in order of the ayat, not in order of revelation. Yeah, so that's the principle there. So the order of verses in the Quran is not necessarily the order of the revelation. Right? And so that shows that the ordering of the verses in the Quran was something which the Prophet did, right? By revelation which was It wasn't something and the Quran is not ordered chronologically. Neither in terms of surahs nor in terms of verses. Right? And this is one of the strongest, you know, like um, proofs for that. But the Quran also it's not an order even within a surah, it's not chronological order. Right? It has a different type of order. And that's obviously for you know other reasons that is not meant to be chronological. Okay. The sixth principle. What is revealed from the Madani surahs must be understood in the context of the Makki. And likewise, Makki with Makki and Madani with Madani, <coughs> depending upon how it was revealed. Right? What does that mean? It means that when we have a Madani surah and we come to it and whether it's verses, whether it's rulings, whether it's whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us in those Madani surahs, we don't isolate them and take them away from the rest of the Qur'an. And this is one of the biggest problems that we have when it comes to the study of tafsir today and generally the study of the Qur'an and so on. And that's why the Qur'an is often used as, you know, like a, a proof for so many crazy things, right? People that, you know, like kill other people, people that do other crazy things. Everyone is using the Qur'an as their basis and their source. Why? Because what people often do is that they take the Qur'an, one verse, one surah, one passage, and they have it in isolation. And they ignore the rest of the Qur'an. And so one of the principles of the Makki and Madani is what? And this is mentioned by Imam rahimahullah in Al-Muwafaqat. He mentions this principle. The Madani has to be understood in light of the Makki. And the Makki with the Makki and the Madani with the Madani. Meaning that you don't isolate the Qur'an. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one issue or ruling concerning, for example, hijab or concerning alcohol or concerning interest, riba or concerning whatever it may be, we don't take that in isolation and away from the other verses of the Qur'an that speak about something similar. Right? And Imam al-Shatibi rahimahullah gives an example of this. He says, Surah Al-Baqarah is understood in light of Surah Al-An'am. Because Surah Al-An'am is Mecca and it speaks about the basics of Islam. It speaks about worshipping Allah. It speaks about having the belief that is correct and so on. And Surah Al-Baqarah comes and it builds on that and it goes into more detail and it gives more proofs and so on. Right? And this is the, the, the example that Imam al-Shatibi rahimahullah gives. So therefore the Qur'an, you don't take Surah Baqarah in isolation, but rather the Qur'an is brought all together. Right? And that's why one of the, the, you know, one of the methodologies of doing tafsir is what is called tafsir al-mawdu'i. Right? What is tafsir al-mawdu'i? Thematic tafsir. What does thematic tafsir mean? It means that you gather all of the verses under one theme together, wherever they may be in the Qur'an, and you bring them together. Like, for example, the story of Musa salam, from all over the Qur'an, you bring it together. Right? The, the story of Ibrahim, bring it together. The verses that speak about salah, bring them together. So now you have them all together under that theme, right? under the theme of salah, the theme of a prophet, or the theme of the Day of Judgment, for example. Wherever it may be, you bring them together and you study them like that. Right? That's called thematic tafsir. And it used to be a, an Al-Maghrib class, I think. I don't know what it's called. I don't know. I know it was thematic, what, what the posh title was, I don't know. 
The seventh uh, principle, Al-Qaeda al-Sabi'ah, a surah may continue to be revealed, meaning a long surah is revealed in batches, or is revealed in stages, and whilst it's being revealed, another surah is revealed as well. Meaning that it wasn't the case, right? and this is mentioned by Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah in his tafsir. It's not the case that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finished the revelation of one surah and then started the next. So all of Baqarah was revealed, then all of Ali Imran, then all of Nisa, then all of Ma'in, not like that. So it's very possible that Baqarah, because it's 286 verses, was revealed over a long period of time. And whilst that was taking place, Baqarah had not yet been completed, other surahs were being revealed and some of them were being finished and some of them, and like this. This is how the Quran was revealed. So the example that we have of that is Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Baqarah, it is said, was revealed, one of the first surahs to be revealed in Medina. من أول ما نزلت في المدينة. One of the first surahs to be revealed in Medina as Ibn Kathir and Ibn Hajar mentioned. Both of them mentioned this, rahimahumullah. That is one of the first surahs. But at the same time, we know that there is a narration that the verse وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ Fear the day on which you will be turned back to Allah, return to Allah, as Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned, was revealed after the farewell hajj. So it's a surah that begins post-hijrah, like literally after the hijrah, it's beginning. The farewell hajj is like nine years later. And still verses of Surah Al-Baqarah are being revealed. Now during that period of time, nine years, obviously there are many other surahs that are madani that are being revealed during that time. Right? So that's a principle also to remember. And that was the final principle actually. Principle number seven. Right? So shall I run through them again? Actually someone else run through them. So number one was... So this... The first principle is that the rulings are for, or the principles are concerning the majority of the surah. It's not a universal principle. There may be exceptions to this. Second principle. What is the correct understanding and definition of Mecca and Madani? And we said it is pre-Hijrah, is Mecca, and post-Hijrah is Madani. Number three. So what determines whether something is Mecca or Madani? How do we classify this? It is based upon... Revelation. It is based upon rather the statements of the companions who witnessed revelation. So when the companions, like Aisha says, anha, Baqar and Nisa were only revealed after I moved in with the Prophet. Umar says this verse was revealed in the farewell hajj. Someone else says it was at this place or at this time. They are the ones who understand this. If we have narrations from them. If not, then we go to the Tabi'in and we take it from them. Number four, someone other than always. Don't hug the limelight. Give other people a chance. Okay, always. No one else is speaking. Okay, so the general ruling is that a surah, all of it is Makki, all of it is Madani, and there is no exception unless we have an authentic narration stating that it is an exception. Right? Like surah? Like in, like in surah Hud, that example that we gave, Sahih Bukhari, and so on. Yeah. Okay, so number what is that? Number five, the Madani verse abrogates Makki, and the Madani verse abrogates what was revealed before it in Makki as well. Number six is what was revealed uh, for the Madani surahs must be understood in light of the Makki surahs and vice versa. To keep the Quran together and understand it in context, so the Makki, Madani is understood in light of the Makki, the Madani with the Madani, the Makki with the Makki, and number seven finally. A surah may continue to be revealed, and whilst it is being revealed, another surah may also start to be revealed. 
Right? So it's not the case that a whole surah had to finish in terms of revelation before the following surah began. Right? And so those are seven principles that inshallah will help you to understand when we speak about Mecca and Madani and why there's a difference of opinion and what it is that the scholars are referring to when they speak about Mecca and Madani and why sometimes you have a Mecca surah but then a narration may come and say, oh, but that verse was Madani or vice versa and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. So those are seven principles and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Any questions regarding that? Yeah. You mentioned about one surah being revealed and then in between you have another surah. How did they define a different surah? Okay, so how did they define... Uh, so when a surah has been revealed and another surah is revealed in between, how do they define where that verse goes in which surah? So the Prophet ﷺ would tell them this. So by ijma' of the scholars, <coughs> the verses, like we mentioned last week, the verses of the Qur'an are in order. The difference of opinion, as we discussed last week, is whether the surahs of the Qur'an, that ordering was given by the Prophet ﷺ or not. Whereas for, within a surah, the verses of the Qur'an, the verses of that one surah, by ijma' were given by the Prophet ﷺ. And there are narrations that when the verse would be revealed, the Prophet ﷺ would say to the companions, place this verse in this place, before this one and after this one. And he will tell them its exact location. And obviously that's then done, you know, through reading, through memorization, through the Prophet ﷺ, leading the salah and so on, and the companions hearing it and them learning it and studying and memorizing and so on. And that's why we have in the, in, in the sunnah, the Prophet ﷺ read Baqarah, and he read Al-Imran, and he read An-Nisa, and, and they're formatted in that, with those names, because we know therefore the Prophet ﷺ placed those verses in those correct places. It would be done straight away, yes. So when the Prophet would, would have that revelation, he would say to the companions, place this here, especially for the scribes, right? Those companions like Ubay ibn Ka'ab and Zayd, and those companions would be the memorizers of the Qur'an, and they would be the scribes, and they would be the ones to, to relay that to others. So, right. so in their salah, they would always recite in the order that it's currently in? In terms of verses. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of verses. And even in terms of then, uh, when ayats are taken out, yeah, because it's abrogated. You mean abrogated verses? No, because I've heard some ayat were popped. Yeah, and, and they were taken out, yeah. So even then, the Prophet would say to them. Yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. So then they would. And that's why Jibreel in the final year came and he revised the Quran twice with the Prophet. Right? But obviously, an interesting point, therefore, is that there were times when the Prophet is reciting Surah Baqarah, it's not yet complete. Right? Because obviously, it's still being revealed. Right? And that's why the correct opinion is that the. the, the you know, uh, if you're, for example, leading salah, you don't have to stick to the ordering of the surahs, right? Because the Prophet didn't always do that, right? So, for example, if you read in the first rakah from Baqarah, from Ali Imran, in the second rakah, you can read from Baqarah. Even though the Qur'an, like the recitals of the Qur'an, don't like that. They say it is better for you to stick to tartib, right? Keep it in order. So, if you read from Baqarah, or you read, for example, from Surah Qiyamah, then the next surah in the second verse should be a surah that comes after Qiyamah, not before. Right? But the correct opinion is that that's not like a, it's not a condition. You don't have to do that. Right? And so if a person wants to change that order, it is allowed for them to do so. And that's in terms of surahs. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Anyone else? Well, the narration that speaks for the Prophet that he read in Surah Al-Quran, the two long surahs all together in one rakah. Could that be understood then that it was the whole entire complete surah or is it what was revealed 
It's obviously what is revealed at that particular time. So when the Prophet is reciting a certain surah, if that surah has yet to be completed in terms of its revelation, the Prophet is reading what has been revealed up until that date. No, because if it's not been revealed, then it can't be the full surah. But he's reading what is revealed up until that point. But remember that the majority, like Surah Baqarah is probably like the exception because of how long it is, right? Most of the surahs will be revealed like together, uh, relatively close together. And even with um, Surah Baqarah, it's only like maybe a handful of verses that are revealed like years and years later. That's what the narration says. The narration says that he would read another surah after Fatiha, and then he would always conclude by reciting Surah Ikhlas. So not that he would only read Ikhlas. Yes, and then do we say, because we can't say this is specific to that, because I know I've read that tradition as well, or do we say it's not a practice that should be done all the time, however you It's not a practice, that it is, so therefore it's the Prophet allowed it, but it's not a practice that should be done all the time, because the Prophet never did it himself. And, and it's not reported from Abu Bakr or Umar or any of the companions that they use that as a, as a, as a sunnah. But it's permissible for someone to do it or someone to do it sometimes. Or, yeah. There's no reason why he did that. He says, because I, he says because I love, it describes Allah and I love to read it. Right. My love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, next week we're here, what time? After Isha? So we're going to like, uh, like after Isha. So Isha next week is... 8.15 inshallah, jama'ah, and then our class, because Maghrib is getting so early now, uh, it will be after Isha for the next few weeks until the clocks go back towards the end of October, and then it will be after Isha as well, but Isha will move back to about 7 o'clock, so then it will kind of balance itself out. For the next couple of weeks, we're starting um, 8.40ish. Barakallahu feekum. Salallahu alayhi wa sallam.